Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleiner. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, The Power of Water and Water Life Science. Have we been hearing here in the United States a lot about the power of water? And this is what this show has been all about for 11 years, is to bring to your attention and education for you to think about something, that how important water is in your life, but the power of it from the beginning of time, billions of years ago, has been the most powerful faith and source of life. It is life. Without water, there is no life. We've been taking that for granted. I noticed that many years ago when I started researching, 30 years ago. The air you breathe is invincible. But guess what? It's water. Without the water in the air, the atmosphere, the water vapor, you'd have no life. The earth couldn't live. That's the way the earth was before water began to come dripping down to earth. As I've educated that ball around the earth billions of years ago with vapor in the air like a, str- a ball, clear, streaming clear around the earth, but no dropping of, of a drip of nothing water. No, no water coming down. But when it did, obviously the solar system, the way the earth was living with that solar system, something changed. And when that changed, that vapor began to evaporate and drops and water came down. And billions of years later, we're moving forward as Earth does. All time goes forward. The individuals who invented the time clock knew what they were doing to remind us Time goes forward. We're going forward. Now, the technical side of our lives that we've been learning all these years is a technology. And that technology is what keeps the earth progressing forward with the time. Hopefully, we're getting smarter, wiser, and studying more about the technology of water. We should never stop studying water. But the water that I learned that became fascinating, that is the barometer of our planet, is the water inside of you, me, all of us. You live in your mother's pocket of water for almost nine months, and then here comes the life that began in that water. That life enters into the atmosphere, the air you breathe, the water vapor. That's another womb. It keeps us alive and all of Earth. It's a powerful, powerful faith that came to the planet so long ago. But now we're hearing more about the weather. The weather and our bodies go together because the human body is, is water. It's every single organ of your body that's keeping you alive 
living with the water vapor and the atmosphere you're breathing, is made up a percentage of water. Earth is living the same way. We never studied the two together, how they're living with water, both. Then there was that third way, the way we're breathing, the water and the air, because the earth is breathing the same water. So we have the human body water living with the atmospheric water and the air we're breathing, or we wouldn't be alive. But the earth has to have a surface of water to keep the atmosphere healthy and keep the earth alive also. Now, have you heard much about that? No. And I hope we can learn more about that today. But we've had those hurricanes. We've got a lot of lessons to learn about what is happening with the planet Earth living with the solar system and that power of water that every planet wants or every, all, the astronaut, all the astronauts that go out into space and scientists are trying to study which one has water like Earth. Today we have Dr. Neil Gregg. He's a professor, Ph.D. at the Department of Civil Engineering in Colorado. Today we're going to be studying together and teaching us, he'll be teaching all of us, the science of hurricanes. But I'm going to take him into a little more so we can understand the word climate, weather. Well, listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Missed, Biologic Aqua Research in the United States, founded a product at the encouragement of ophthalmology research and scientists, a product that could supplement that atmosphere for the eyes because the surface of your eyes is 99% water. The water on the eye has to maintain a certain amount of balance, but it evaporates like you're evaporating. Earth is evaporating. So when it evaporates, you need to maintain to supplement to replace that evaporation for a healthier eye. Vision impairment is that evaporation to sadly blindness. Or listen to our sponsor with Nature's Tears Eye Mist, and we'll be back with Dr. Grigg. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're 
listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Craig, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us again. And I think I'll tell our international audience, Dr. Neil Gregg is a professor, professor of civil and environmental engineering at Colorado State University. He has experience as an educator, researcher, consulting engineer, and public official. His, his concentrations have been water management and institutions, water rights, water supplies, state water planning, water law, policy and regulation, infrastructure development, and water security. He has done this internationally. And I want to thank you for being on here again. And today we're going to discuss what is happening out there. The hurricanes have, are getting stronger. And as we're hearing this week, there's more coming over the same islands that were impacted just recently. Educate our listeners about... about Let's start out with climate, weather, and then we can teach them what is happening with the planet and with the solar system to have these horrible, powerful storms that we have. Well, thank you, Sharon. I'm happy to be on the program again. And, of course, there's so many things happening with the climate, uh, the weather, the water, the oceans, the hurricanes, the wind, and everything that goes with this uh, tremendous uh, system that we have of water all around the world. It's a long story, but to think about it, um, we can think about the fact that there's a connection, as you pointed out, between the atmosphere and the water sphere of the Earth. Most of the water in the Earth is in the oceans, um, some 90-something percent is in the oceans, and it uh, warms and cools, and every year in our uh, hemisphere, we have a hurricane season, which begins around the 1st of August, and it extends for several months, so we're in it right now. And what is going on is that the warming of the uh, ocean waters uh, creates um, differences in the atmosphere, differences in pressures of the atmosphere that then uh, turn into these um, hurricanes, uh, which can be called by different names around uh, the world. Um, but they are these tremendous windstorms that you see. And the warmer the water is, the more energy it imparts to this um, hurricane force wind that uh, sweeps through. And then it moves according to the Earth's circulation. The Earth's got a circulation which is... Um, is generated by the rotation of the Earth in the solar system, as you point out. And so you have these different forces that are impinging on the uh, wind and the water, and the hurricanes will move, in our case, from the east to the west. And then depending on the pressures and um, and other winds, uh, elevation of the jet stream, and many other factors, they'll go this way or that way, 
and you'll see the hurricane forecasters uh, showing you the different spaghetti models on television as they try to outguess where these hurricanes are going. So just to summarize that, it's a, it's basically dependent on the energy in the atmosphere and the connection between the water and the uh, air itself, and uh, we have all of the results that you see going on right now. Okay, since you have started your um, practice in engineering and research, have you seen anything quite like what's happening right now? We've had this one impact. Now there's another one coming right behind it. Is that is that common? Well, out here at Colorado State University, we have some of the best hurricane forecasters in our Department of Atmospheric Science. They don't all agree on uh, the statistics or the factors that cause this, but um, the, one thing is clear, and that is that every hurricane season is different, and it depends on uh, this warming of the ocean and the different cycles that occur like that. Uh, the record that we've got for this kind of weather doesn't go back that far because um, if you can think about, um, well, just back to the beginning of the 20th century, 1900 thereabouts, you wouldn't have had all of these um, different uh, datas coming in and reports, and people would be generally just guessing what was going on. We had some tremendous hurricanes, the, the big one that swept up through the Gulf of Mexico and decimated uh, Galveston Island in 1900 was the biggest disaster, water-related disaster we've ever had. A couple of thousand people killed, the island just devastated, and so on. So when you think about the intensity of these, of these hurricanes and how many there are, uh, we don't really have enough records to know whether this is uh, truly unusual or not. Well, it's definitely unusual, and people are certainly going to speculate that this is the worst or something that's changing and so on. But as scientists, and you think about the whole climate change debate and uh, what these cycles are, what we would say is uh, you can't be sure that it's any different than it used to be, and you can't be sure that um, it's, uh, the, the climate is changing. We, may, we need more data. But another thing which is uh, really true is that there are more people in the way of all of these hurricanes than there ever were before. And so um, you're going to see a lot more damage. You're going to see a lot more media coverage. Um, and those are going to be the things that are different. Okay. Now, you said something there. You described this planet has been climate changing forever since the beginning of time. It has to move forward. I don't know if you heard me talk about the invention of the time of the clock. That was an invention to remind us everything moves on. But there are things that recycle what is happening on the planet with nature. Um, so the, the, because we don't have the data so far back, this kind of reminder of what happens with hurricanes and the tornado, and I'm going to ask you about that, and that powerful rain that comes with it. You're saying that the research of it has proven or showing that when the the oceans warm up, the ocean warms up, 
that there is a cycle that the the atmosphere is I don't want I want to be a layman too is listening to that cycle at, at communicating with that cycle that all of a sudden something is correct in the atmosphere to cause the wind, the heat, and everything to balance together to cause a hurricane. Is that is that the way I understood it? Well, you, you, the warming you, you of the, have the warming it. of the, the warming yes. of the ocean. Then the yes. warming of the ocean changes the atmosphere, right? That's correct. Yeah. And then all and, of a sudden, uh, the, the nature of our Earth, living with the solar system, there's a velocity of wind that begins to turbulate, trying to struggle with what to do with this. And then all of a sudden comes what we call a storm, because it, it went... It, it, it didn't, not, not one of those things escaped each other. They communicated to cause the storm. Now, when it has a storm, what's it saying to the planet Earth at the moment? Can you, is it possible? Is that a crazy question? <laughs> There's so many dynamic things going on. Okay. Um, when you think about the Earth spinning in the solar system and you've got this air mass. Right around the Earth, and the Earth spins, and so as it spins, you've got the air mass with the friction that's there and its um, tendency to want to stay stationary, then it creates what we see as, as winds and trade winds, which are going on all the time. And up high, you've got the jet streams that are going on. Down low, down here, there's more friction because of the Earth's surface, and so we don't feel the same velocity of the winds usually as you do at higher elevations like that. So you have that basic system going on of circulation, but then you add to that um, the heat um, and the movement of the uh, different uh, storms and and fronts around uh, the, the earth. And so you end up with a dynamic collection of things that um, create different weather conditions all across the earth, all the time. It's changing constantly. But then when different um, forces come into uh, a coalescence, like the warm ocean together with the moist air um, and the right conditions to create a hurricane or in uh, sort of a, a connected uh, phenomena, the tornadoes later on, which are caused more by the shear of winds blowing against each other and sort of rotating uh, the, the air almost like a yo-yo would if you had a string on it. Um, then you end up with these tremendous storms around, and then they have derivative effects like when the hurricane is moving over, uh, you've got the warm ocean water. It picks up a tremendous amount of moisture, um, and that's what happened down in, in Houston with Hurricane Harvey with the greatest amount of rainfall that they've seen in this century because the water was so warm, there was so much moisture that was picked up in there by the time it had um, rinsed itself out and all of the rain was mostly gone. It was this tremendous amount like that. So there's not one single thing that's causing it. It's a dynamic uh, collection of right. forces like that. 
Right. That's what I was pointing out as a layman. That uh, now I've got a curiosity because uh, I've been studying the atmosphere and human life. What What do you think there are that should think? What What could be studied with human life, body, water evaporation, and the atmosphere's evaporation and the Earth's evaporation itself? What do you think they could learn about what technology could be decided about the storms? A different technology that we could learn to try to prevent some of those storms. What what would you do if you had your ideal um, amount of capital money to go study would be the, the secret to trying to figure out how we can, with technology, try to stop, not stop the storm, because it's got to take its attitude. It's got to do it. But to make, to make it possible that we can begin to control it a little more. Is that ever possible? Well, the world of um, trying to protect people against flood damage has an answer to that, which goes back a long time. And... The answer is the floods occur. I mean, it's, it's to think that uh, human beings could control the weather, control the atmosphere. Uh, I don't think anybody's ready to go there, uh, with some small exceptions like weather modification to try to increase rainfall in dry areas, which has not been very successful. But it's one thing that people at least do try. But the thought that we could stop a hurricane, I haven't seen anybody who really would propose anything like that in a serious way yet. But what they do say about floods, and this relates to hurricane damage uh, as well, is that you can do a couple of things. So the first thing you can do um, is you can try to put up protective systems so that people are not um, as much in harm's way. Uh, as they would be without the protective systems. An example of a a protective system in the case of flooding, where people live along the coastal area or they live along a river, would be levees, uh, flood walls, um, and in the cases of of rivers, uh, flood control reservoirs to uh, store the water temporarily release it later uh, in a more slow fashion so that it doesn't threaten people as much. The other thing that people can do um, is to stay out of the way as much as possible by not building or or living in places where they're more vulnerable. Now, this is a place where you can see what happened to the Florida Keys, that the vulnerability um, was really high there because if you see all those terrible pictures of the devastation that occurred down there, you see two things. Uh, Number one, the people are living in a place which is uh, likely to get some big hurricanes. And number two, most of the properties that you see uh, are not uh, really structurally really strong. Uh, A lot of them look like they could be um, maybe in the category of manufactured housing and housing that's available down there. (laughs) And and that's not the case with all the housing, but you see a lot of that. And so the people are really vulnerable there. The other thing that we can do is you can warn people to get out of the way uh, to take uh, cover, and of course that helps with human life, but it doesn't help that much with property damage because uh, property damage is going to be the same anyway. 
Uh, but those are the kind of things we can do. We can't uh, win over nature, but we can do many other things to protect ourselves. Now, on that warm, okay, let's start then with the ocean as warm as it is. Uh, what do you think is causing? Now, we've been hearing a lot of reports on the um, dumping of garbage in, uh, in the ocean all these years. Is, has that been do, doing any damage to cause a warming of the ocean? Well, the, the garbage into the ocean is a very troubling thing that we really need to work against, but um, I haven't heard anybody try to attribute <coughs> uh, warming of the water to that. Um, what you do here is uh, attribution of the warming of the ocean to global warming and climate change, the temperature varying um, and even as much as a degree or two, which has been documented on the Earth over the last uh, decade, many decades and, and century. There's a lot of data out there about uh, the warming of the atmosphere and the consequent, <laughs> consequential warming of the ocean waters. And then also the ocean waters are dynamic, and you have movement of masses of water from one place to another, and so the temperatures are going to change a lot just because of the movement of the ocean water itself. You have in the oceans a lot of underground rivers, which have tremendous um, capacity to carry water from one place to another with the flow of, of uh, and circulation of the water around the globe. So when the scientists look at all of those things together, they can see patterns of warming of the ocean in different places uh, over time, and then later cooling because, as with the heat budget, total heat budget of the um, oceans, you've got uh, a fixed amount of heat, and as it moves around, it's almost like um, an air conditioner situation. You move some cool air in one place, there's going to be some warm air coming out of the other so that you end up in balance. Those are the things that you hear more about than other phenomena like trash in the ocean. <laughs> the reason I brought up the trash in the ocean is uh, anything that's a metal, anything that is uh, made up of that the sun rays could heat up uh, into the o- what that's in the ocean to, to cause a warming effect because of that radiation, because we know the bottom of the ocean sand uh, around the ocean is not going to cause, I don't believe, that radiation the same as certain kinds of garbages that have been put into the ocean for for many years. I was thinking about that radiation. Um, So you're not thinking that would be a thought that, that, that no, not not enough of uh, metal uh, that would heat up like that. Of course, that's true. Wherever you would have some metal, it would heat up due to the um, absorption of the heat by the metal surface mm-hmm. and everything around it mm-hmm. would become warmer. That is the case in cities where you have this heat island effect uh, where you build a city in the middle of a land mass, um, and it's got a lot of concrete, it's got a lot of metal, it's got a lot of solid surfaces that doesn't have as much grass cover and water and soil as it used to have before. Then you have a heat island effect, which um, demonstrates what you just described. Okay. I was kind of leading to that in a way. <laughs> um, so uh, when we come back, we're going to take our break here in a minute. But I want to hear about when they're doing re- when, when they're recycling water in different countries. 
that in the recycling of the water uh, and putting, let's say, saline, uh, the, the, the salt of the ocean changes, does that be thinking about that for us? That would that be heating up the ocean, like over in Saudi Arabia, with their recycling of water and what is happening with the salt content of the water being recycled? Would that cause, let's say over there, they're having a change in the water. Would that area of the con- of the planet change a weather condition at a distance someplace else? We're going to listen uh, to our sponsor. Okay, we'll come back, and I've got a question on that. Well, listen okay. to our sponsor. Nature's Tears Eye Mist with just a mist. Uh, Nature's Tears Eye Mist just launched in China with our partners, and they're selling thousands and thousands a day. We're very excited for the people of China that Nature's Tears Eye Mist Vision, Breath of Life, with a 100% Tissue culture grade water is a breath of fresh air in the atmosphere for the vision of China to have a new lifestyle. We'll listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back with Dr. Gray. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Craig, we were talking about, uh, before I go into the recycling, I, I don't want to forget this one. You were mentioning that we are building, metal buildings are no longer wood. They're metal buildings and can draw a lot of heat from the atmosphere. And then the pavement of the roads and less, less water on the surface and um, not as much uh, uh, forest and grass and, and green around it to kind of uh, tame down the heat. What is your thinking about that? Um, because that could be causing... Uh, a problem, too, with the um, atmosphere is heating up. And wouldn't that also influence distances of uh, other, other countries, other continents, when there's one in particular that is massive at doing that? Is that possible? 
Well, that's one of the debates that's going on around the world about who is causing global warming and what are they doing to, to cause that. And um, there's many uh, aspects of that. For example, uh, the big uh, rainforest that's down in Brazil got lots of trees and jungle uh, and those trees uh, release carbon dioxide, and um, that goes up into the atmosphere, and it changes the um, uh, sort of the chemistry of the atmosphere, and the sun hits on uh, the atmosphere, and that has certain effects on global warming and, and so on. And then there's all of the cities that um, are there, and um, I meant to say that the... Um, the uh, the, the forest absorbs the carbon dioxide and releases oxygen, which is a, um, um, a beneficial um, result. And the cutting of the forest is uh, it would then decrease that and increase, tend to increase the atmospheric uh, heat. Same thing with cities that we were talking about there. And um, there are so many different things that are human activities that cause these um, different phenomena. And who is to blame, um, you know, is generally not uh, fixed in the end. But we get a lot of blame here in the United States because we're so highly developed. We have so much industry. We have so many uh, automobiles. We generate so much electricity. Uh, we have all of these cities with all of this concrete. We get a lot of the blame for many things that are happening um, to change the Earth's climate. Other countries, and notably China, with their rapid development and so many people, they're getting a lot of blame, too, with a lot of the changes that are going on. All of these different um, subjects are debated a lot in international scientific circles, uh, and we're trying to figure out ways that we can uh, work together to mitigate um, and reduce all of those ill effects. Uh, one of the biggest uh, debates is, of course, about the climate change itself, and, of course, that's a big um, um, international question mark with the new administration in the United States and their uh, position on climate change. People are wondering, well, what if we can't work together, what can we do? So there's a lot of debate, but there's no uh, conclusions that people can say for sure are the worst problems that we've got. Yeah, and what, what I know what you just said there. What are they doing to accomplish uh, to, to accomplish the problem? Um, you know, I have said, if you bring a bunch of young kids together, let's say from junior high up through high school, and let them have their conferences and studies and re- research, they might have it get more a lot done <laughs> because they have great ideas. And yet you see things in a different way because they're not into uh, who gets what and who's doing what. And um, they're not into, I'll say it, the greed yet of life, of, of comparing. Um, the challenges I see that we're having for me and uh, what I've studied through the years about the human life and the atmosphere of that body, that evaporation of body, water, loss, living with the atmosphere of the earth, the air we breathe, the earth is going through exactly the same symptoms. And doctor, you know, 
they have not found, remember years ago when we were young, they, we were after cures for diseases. Now they're putting everybody in remission for the diseases, not looking for the cures. And I look at Earth as the same symptom. Can we find more cures of what is going on out there? And then, of course, there's education. Uh, education is vital to the people who live on this planet, not the people who are gathering in these conferences. What are people thinking? Uh, the education, and that's why I um, really have stuck to myself, with myself on not learning any of the descriptions of the vocabulary, trying to stick to the common sense of the vocabulary use so people will stop to listen. Because if we get too sophisticated about the vocabulary, it just runs over the top of people. They don't see the information. They, they don't look at it with educational information because it doesn't hit home for them. They didn't understand everything just said. But now back to uh, the recycling of water, which I'm all for, uh, for areas of the world. But what happens when that water goes back and goes into the ocean? Is that changing the temperature of the ocean at that spot of where they're recycling? Well, there's a lot of impact where water is recycled um, and put back in. Uh, to the ocean with a different uh, level of heat. And there's also a lot of um, impact on the water quality because when water is recycled, um, it tends to get more concentration of salt and um, other uh, inorganic chemicals, uh, minerals of different kinds that are in there. And uh, um, it... it, uh, uh, it's just uh, you know a total um, a, a total change in a local place for the most part local um, and there's not enough of this water recycling going on now to make a dramatic uh, total effect but um, it's it, it's definitely something that's troubling in local places where it does occur. And you were talking about getting people to understand better. That's a really important issue that affects us um, in in our uh, capacity to do something about these different problems that are occurring. It's true that the young people come together and they can often find solutions because they're creative and they're not bound up so much with, um, well, hang-ups and uh, preconditions uh, or predetermined uh, attitudes and things that <laughs> happen to us as we get older. You know, I'm going to say, Doctor, excuse me for interrupting, but I'm going to say pat each other on the back and let's see if we can hit the middle ground. That's not what they're thinking. They're thinking about solving. Am I right? Oh, yeah, yeah. They would, would be focused on that to the extent yeah. that they understand what it is that um, needs to be solved. And yeah, and further on that, the the media is um, a real problem in yes, going at things, the things that sensationalize things, and it tends to lead off into uh, tracks that are not very productive, conspiracy theories, and things that are not looking at the facts and the science and everything that's really happening. 
And if we you know, could figure you out... You put on to the word... I like the word you do. Excuse me for interrupting. The word sensationalizing. Um, the sensationalization of, of when they were talking about climate change. Then the media were talking about global warming. Then all of a sudden, they kept, but they sensationalized it to where people were not understanding what that really means. They were not educating the public. They were exciting the public. And the public has a tendency to go negative first because they're skeptical of anything positive. They want to take the negative. And, you know, I've always said the reason a person goes negative first, then they won't be disappointed because it wasn't positive. Um, This is negative, and they'll take that side. With our science, with our planet... The reason I started the Power of Water radio show is the education that is so important to this layman to understand the common sense description um, so that people would be more open to listen to the common sense of the vocabulary. And uh, the water, have you, you've noticed this, you've been in this a long time, Water was taken for granted in the last 50 years. I think before that, not as much, but for the last 50 years, water, it's like it should be the number one priority of infrastructure planning in every country of the planet. And water is probably down at the bottom of the totem pole. Everything else is coming first. Water is toward the end. Have you noticed that? I noticed that people take water for granted until they're in some kind of a crisis. And, right. you know, if you can't get your water or if your water's so polluted that it, it makes you sick, then it tends to rise on people's uh, list of priorities. It's hard to get politicians interested in water because um, it doesn't have a spectacular ring that leads to votes and a lot of attention to it. And yeah. so, you know, we have a lot of difficulties in getting water up to the headlines that it needs to be at so that you can uh, get the kind of investment and infrastructure upgrading and improvements that we need. And that's the case all around the world. All around the world. Everybody's yes. guilty. Everybody's yeah. guilty. It's, 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 uh, and uh, the, the thing I have found is the priorities of our forefathers were a little different because the reason they knew water was important is when they wanted to have an economy for their community, they always went toward the water and they always made sure there was plenty of water for the the economy to you, for economic reasons. Today, they're forgetting that the country, (laughs) follow me, doctor, the country that preserves their water in the long run, and, and develops good water technology planning, are going to be better than oil. They're going to well, be that's true. Economy. Yeah, you, okay. yeah, you see a lot of places where they are placing priority on developing water. Milwaukee is repurposing their water supply to try to attract more industry and combine uh, water availability with uh, attractive conditions for industry to create more jobs and economic development. And, of course, Singapore is... Milwaukee, Wisconsin? Yes, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'll have to get them on the show. Uh Yeah, they they would be good to be on the show. 
Yes. Uh, That's the secret to, you know, everything, and I've said to everybody, doctor, everybody on this planet that's living here, they go to their table, whether it's under a tree or wherever, they go to a table to have a meal. They're shareholders on this planet. They, they They have to be considered of how important they are and made, made convinced they are that important sitting at a table as a shareholder on the whole planet. Their priority is always going to be water. It has to be. It can't be anything but water first. So there has to be a movement to get people very serious at that table to prioritize the movement of water to be the economic force of who's going to be the most successful to compete. And that seems to be what our politicians are always talking about, is the economic competition of people to be able to gain a monetary gain. That's, but they forget water would be the economic force over oil if they would prioritize the technology of that. You know, the other one, because that's the business I'm in, um, is I often hear criticism for these companies that bottle drinking water. And I'm sure you do, because they're taking water and with greed, selling it on the market in a bottle. And what is the first thing, Dr. Craig, they're after when there's an, uh, uh, an event of an emergency or a, a national weather event or any event that's a, uh, something that happens and they don't have water, what's the first thing that they plead for? Trucks and trucks and trucks of bottled water to drink. It always will be. And then they're, they're not talking about the greed of the water company that's bottling drinking water. Um, and without those people having that drinking water these locations would not be able to survive during these tragedies. Now, I'm going to get into something else that's an expertise of yours. This, the atmosphere is changing. And what about the soil of our planet? What influence does soil have on the atmosphere and our weather? Well, the soil has a lot of influence on the atmosphere and the weather in many different ways. One uh, way that comes to mind is that the soil is vulnerable to um, being eroded and swept away as dust particles up into the air. You can see that sometimes uh, where um, there will be dust storms that will come to the western um, coast of the United States all the way from China, um, where the uh, the wind storms, um, you know, have picked it up and eroded, and those fine particles are transported that far in the atmosphere, so that it changes our climate, our atmosphere uh, visibility here um, with these dust particles, and the um, vulnerability of those dust particles to be eroded in the first place depends a lot on water management. Um, probably the best known case of that in the United States is the 1930s Dust Bowl when farming practices were 
not being carried out properly. And uh, when the drought occurred and the um, dryness uh, uh, became so severe, you had all of this soil erosion um, creating these big dust storms that just even filled up people's houses with dust on the Great Plains of Kansas and Oklahoma and in that uh, Dust Bowl area. That gave way to a, a new movement of soil conservation where uh, the government and um, universities and educators were looking for ways to teach people how to conserve that soil so that it wouldn't be blown away that way. So there's many other examples of where there's an interrelationship between soil and, um, and the atmosphere, but that's probably the best. That's, that's kind of my question earlier, and I didn't know if you'd get into it, but I've wondered if the soil, what is happening to the soil on our planet is not being um, protected enough. It's, it's like an endangered species to me. Because soil, soil isn't a living organism. Because it's becoming, I'm going to use that term, an endangered organism, could that also be a, something to study that's causing our, some of the weather extremes that might be able to potentially be um, not controlled. That isn't a good word, but uh, to be able to predict. Well, there's a... Soil is so vital. It's vital, and there's a very uh, close relationship between the soil, uh, the plant life, uh, the water budget, the atmosphere, um, and it all comes together in, in this terrestrial sphere in a kind of a scientific word. It, it's a, a dynamic natural system which needs to be in equilibrium uh, that works good for all of the systems, including the human system. And if you uh, misuse soil, um, and there are many ways to misuse soil, but not planting correctly, not watering, not stabilizing, allowing it to become eroded, to go down into the streams, to run down the streams, fill those up with sediment, choke off plant life, choke off fish, and many different things which are adverse like that, um, then it's going to be a losing situation for uh, the, the land, the soil, and the people. Uh, and then the, the biggest impact on, on the climate is going to be two things. Is main, the main one is the one I mentioned before, when you get all these fine dust particles up into the air like that. But the other one is going to be um, related to the vegetation, which is planted there to conserve the soil, sometimes to grow food, sometimes just for forest cover and so on. And there you have this relationship between the oxygen that's being put off, the carbon dioxide which is being absorbed, um, the moisture that goes up into the air from uh, the transpiration from the um, vegetation that goes there. All of that has a, an impact on the atmosphere and the heat, uh, the circulation and the moisture, rainfall itself. So it's a dynamic system in the principles of good conservation, good resource management, and they make so much sense that uh, we need to find more ways to give people incentives to do the right thing and, and to not to misuse those resources. And I, the first thing that comes to my mind, because that's what I study, is the over-evaporation of what is happening mm -hmm. to the soil and to the life on the planet. 
Mm-hmm. It's not keeping up the atmosphere. The, the atmosphere cannot keep up with uh, what it's having to uh, challenge because mm-hmm. of uh, over-evaporation. Um, how do people find your website to come to, to, to see what your, some of your articles and your books? It would be Colorado State University, um, and then you would uh, just look for the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering, and my name would be there. Dr. Neil Grigg, G-R-I-G-G. Well, right. thank you for being on again today. I th- I'm glad I got into the soil because it's been one of those things I've talked about, Doctor, about what happened in California when they turned off that canal and those yeah. agricultural fields began to dry and they're turning mm-hmm. to sand. And yeah. then I mentioned, what about the soil? What about the aquifers below there? What's going to happen to the atmosphere in California? Mm-hmm. But thank you Not for joining us today. It's nice to have you on again. I appreciate all your time. All right. Thanks, Sharon. Appreciate it. Have and a nice day and be again. well. All right. Bye. Bye. Did we learn a lot today? You know, at the end of some of the shows, I'll say, wow. And there's so much we can learn. Do you think you know it all? Or do you think you could learn enough? It's impossible because our breath of life has a clock. And the clock can change any moment and goes forward always. And there's so much to learn. And that's why I brought up to Dr. Grigg, children. Children, if we allow it, are open-minded. They're not vulnerable to some of the, not all, they're all human too, to the fact there's always two sides to everything. And when it comes time to our life on this planet, and let's say the organism of life, the humidity of life, water is life, moisture for life, is beginning of time, it was the water. And here we sit. We've had hurricanes. We've had torrential rains, record rain and high waters. It's trying to, the earth is trying to tell us something. Listen closely to the planet and we will learn a lot. And also, listen to those children that are open-minded. They can teach us so much. Embrace your life every single moment of that breath. But embrace somebody else's breath, too. Be respectful to them. And, and, and think about what, they're, what they might be thinking. But Earth whispers, don't say it's a goodbye and take it all your way. Try to think about leaving something for everybody and all those children to come. You be well, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel with an encore Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. 